was Nightlife, written by today's guest, Lil Eddie. Now, for those of you who might not know Lil Eddie, he has worked with some of the biggest global pop stars, everyone from Kylie Minogue to Pink, Jesse J, Fifi Dobson, JoJo, Usher, Janet, and Britney Spears. We're going to go into that and talk about all the many hits he's worked on and all the people he's collaborated with. But first, I want to welcome you. My name is James Rodriguez Horton, and this is the Original Doll Podcast. On the Original Doll, I unpackage music with the people who created it. We hear all the behind-the-scenes information. We pull back the curtains to give you a different view of what these songs were, how they came to be, the evolution. And these artists have been nice enough to allow me to ask them anything. So for every question they answer, we give back to charity. Every question they answer, we get an item donated to charity. And within the first 24 hours, for every listen we get on Apple Podcast, we also get items donated to charity. And during these upcoming winter months, we have a lot of communities in need, looking for everything from gloves to jackets to food, to hygiene products, and more. To find out more information, visit Instagram the.original.doll or go to our website, the old school way, www.theoriginaldoll.com. You can also go on there to support this podcast so that we can keep it free for all. For as little as a dollar a month, you're able to help keep this podcast open and free on all streaming platforms. But first, shout out to my Patreon patrons. Thank you so much to Xavier, to Peter, to Tyler, to Tommy, to Rochelle, to Adam. Uh, we have so many people, Lucy, Freddie, Tiffany, Curtis, Jason, Max, Rami, uh, Tony, Tony T, Tony P, Tony D, and more. We have a lot of these people, so thank you all so much. And a big shout out. Many people are asking me for the links on how to purchase these songs that are available. I always send it out in an email blast. So to get joined on that, please go to the website, www.theoriginaldial.com. Also, if you're looking for these songs, as we talk about on here, many of the demos and things like that are online, um, and we make reference to that. So there are some great websites on YouTube uh, that post some of these demos, and um, I wanted to give a shout out to uh, Britney Exposed on YouTube. Actually, that, uh, that account has worked with many of these individuals personally and confirmed some of these demos and made sure that the information was accurate. What we like doing on the Original Doll Podcast is making sure that we honor all of these people and give credit where credit is due. So big shout out to them. So before I say anything else, I just want to say thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And don't forget, support these artists. Follow them on their Instagram. Follow them on their websites and more. 
more information coming soon towards the end of the episode. So, without further ado, my name is James Rodriguez Horton, and this is the Original Doll Podcast. <laughs> the Original How's it going? Hey, what's up, buddy? All right, so ready, Eddie. Let's let's go back to the beginning. Let's talk about how you got started, and really how music became a part of you even before signing anything. How did music become a part of who you are? I always so um, I had a pretty crazy life. Like so, at five years old, I experienced my ninth fire, which left my family homeless, and I was. I was at that time I was living in Brooklyn. I was born in Brooklyn. And at five, after the ninth fire, like we were rescued from, you know, the, the firemen rescued us from a burning building on a fire escape and the building collapsed and we were completely like homeless. So um my mother and father, like my father was kind of he was disowned in his family, and my mother was disowned in her side of the family for being for them being together. And he was a black dark-skinned Puerto Rican and she was a light-skinned Puerto Rican and um yeah he was a bit of a gangster and he they did her family kind of disowned her and his family disowned him so we really didn't have like many people to reach out to so we lived in the shelter system and and Red Cross kind of helped us back back in that time and I was really young and I remember like life was really crazy. Music wasn't that important important at the time. Well, I didn't know, but subconsciously there was things that I would remember, like like running out of gas on the George Washington um, bridge mm. and listening to Lionel Richie, like um, party, you know, you know, and I was thinking this is not a party or like being poor and walking through a store and listening to, you know, um, my Sherry and and my mother always loving that song and things like that. And I, but then I had all this like Latin cultural, Puerto Rican, very proud, you know, of our of our music going on in my household, and then hip hop and R and B was like what I initially and pop music was what I gravitated towards because it was the music of my generation and the music of, you know. Um, the things I would hear in school and going to school, changing different schools and what people would talk about. It was, you know, it was a thing to, to, to love. And, um, but I didn't know that music had a big, um, you know, a, a, a big say so in my life until, so we moved to, after going through this crazy shelter system and being homeless and sleeping in cars and eating out of garbage cans, we moved to Spanish Harlem in uh, Manhattan, up in New York City. And my brother w- went to this school, which was a performing arts school. He, my brother t- was like two years older than me. So there was a flyer for the New York Boys Choir and the New York Boys Choir was like a prestigious choir who sang for celebrities back up all around the world and um, a lot of opportunities. I had guaranteed travel and my brother went and I remember just following in my older brother's footsteps and I was like, man, I want to do this too. I want to be in the choir. So I auditioned in the choir. And they were like, man, you can really sing. And I was thinking like, real? You know what I'm saying? So they, um, so I, I joined the choir. And then 
next you know, I was performing at the Billboard Music Awards for Stevie Wonder, you know, backup singing for Stevie Wonder, Michael Bolton, Hootie and the Blowfish, Al Green, just all these crazy experiences. And I just was like, wow, like, can't believe I live in the projects, but I'm doing this kind of stuff, like, you know, after school. And um, the choir was like, it was Pandora's box because even though I, could, I would come back to poverty, like I, it would take me around the world, singing for the Olympics, singing for the Pope, singing for, you know, and the Vatican, all these things that I did. And um, that, like I said, it was like, it was, it was opening Pandora's box and that, you know, led to me pursuing it in junior high school, um, eventually signing a deal with Mario Winans and P. Diddy um, at a very young age um, and, and meeting other fr friends that are more like family, colleagues in the industry, like, you know, Claude Kelly and Autumn Rowe were like best, best friends growing up as kids, dreaming together. Like, I remember Claude and Claude and I would go to HMV in New York City on 86th Street and we cut choir when um, the TLC fan mail album came out because we really, <laughs> he really thought his name was going to be on the insert. We were like diehard fans, and he because at know, the time you could you sent your name in, and they were printing them on all the inside of these albums for those listeners that are like, wait, what? Right? Yeah, <laughs> it was like important, you know. So he so he was like, man, I got to see if my name's on this album, and um and he taught me so much, like when it came to just like the intricate the intricate things like harmony and um dissonance and like because he was he studied piano at such a young age. Eventually, Claude went on and. Um, to Berkeley and you know he did amazing he's left an amazing legacy in music and he you know he's a Berkeley alumni and he um, has graduated to do a, a lot of amazing things as a songwriter but when he got grad when he came out of Berkeley like any op any connection I had I would introduce him to I would drag Claude around with me to every studio <laughs> by the time Claude was graduating from Berkeley I was like a sorted out um writer and artist and I, I would have all these labels in New York like wanting to sign me and all these people that were trying to be involved in my career and I would drag Claude with me Claude come with me let's write this song Claude come with me to the studio and um and Autumn was Autumn was a little bit of a different journey she was in a girl group so like she kind of like was taken off before us because she was in a girl group that there was like I was like, you girls are gonna be the next freaking 3LW, you know what I mean? Like, but like they have more vocals and and um and uh yeah, like it was it was incredible. Like Autumn was always this hustler, like she had this business savvy mentality. She would network, she was the network queen, and she would, you know, have this very unique, distinctive, beautiful voice and this pop sensibility, you know, that was Autumn's thing. Like she just was not like she was just always in her own you know kind of like musical bubble like I loved her taste it was so different from everyone else's you know like Claude and I would be even though she would know what we know she just I don't know she knew something else and she would she was so cool she would cut her own vocals we were young she's like oh, I bought Pro Tools I have a inbox and she was just always ahead of the curve in that sense like she she really music she really didn't sit down and like wait for something to happen for her. She was always that go-getter. Um, and as a female, especially in this industry, is very, you know, now the females are taking over, but it's because of girls like Autumn that were really like not waiting for an opportunity and, and grabbing the, the the industry by the horns and just like 
taking control of her career, you know? So it was, and it's amazing because then we all eventually got into the um, X Factor as vocal coach, you know? And um, then I was, I continued with that relationship with Simon Cowell and became a judge on the show in the UK and, and in Malta and uh, different countries and became a senior A&R at, at Cycle and lived in London for three years. And I just kind of came back because of the coronavirus and Simon sold his shares of Cycle you know, back to Sony. So that kind of like ended, but then I did like America's Got Talent and all this other stuff in America at the time. But this is the first year like not working um, with like the TV shows because I just kind of needed, I think it was just time to kind of, mm-hmm. you know, just yep. need a little break, maybe take a fresh breath of air and Simon's changing a lot of things. And then, you know, no, you never know, reunite and do something greater together, you know? Well, and what's great is, you know, your story, it's like, you know, I, I tell a lot of people because the my favorite part of doing the Original Doll podcast is really talking about the songwriters and producers because many people back in the day, you would open up a CD and see who did what in there. Now with digital and stuff for a while, even on Spotify and Apple Music, it's like, wait, who wrote this? Let me scroll through the lyrics if they had it. And sometimes it wasn't right. And I think that this is a time in which, you know, I love saying there are so many people behind the scenes that we don't know about yet had a part in a huge, like the fifth harmony thing. You know what I mean? I am still Autumn holding out for. Autumn and I, I was in the room. Oh my God. With they, LA Reed with Simon Cowell, you know, we were invited in that room and we picked the girls. And at that time, it was so important for me to be like, we need to make sure that this girl group is bilingual. I was pushing that agenda to Simon Cowell from early on. And then the next season, I got Carlito Olivero. I made him do the show. I convinced him. I was like, bro, please trust me. Paulina Rubio was there. I got Prince Royce to sing on Fox because they didn't know who to pick after we got him to the finals. Um, and then because of all of that, he, Simon was like, I want to do a show for Latins. And then I spoke about Menudo and then we made La Banda. And then I ran that show and created CNCO. You know, so that's how that whole opportunity working with Simon Cowell kind of grew because I came in through, you know, Autumn ref- referred my name to David Gray, who was an A&R, and then I interviewed through Fox. And then on the show, I met Simon. Like, I didn't really come in through, um, it was kind of still through Psycho because David Gray worked for Psycho, but I had to interview to, with Fox because they wanted someone that also had the, you know, the TV yep. personality. Mm-hmm. Well, Wait, so, is that David Gray, the former recording artist, like Babylon David Gray, or no? I don't, I don't know. He probably was, but he, no, I don't think it was that David Gray. I think it's it's David Gray. Uh, he's just like a, you know, he's like a uh, OG in the industry he's of great jobs and done a lot of great things. And yeah, and 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 that's it. That's just, and that is the, you know, kind of like sidebar, but all ties them together but that is what you know pat when someone passes you a baton and running you know the extra mile that is exactly you know a testimony and a um example of what it what it really means to be prepared and to do your work and be ready for you know opportunity when it comes knocking at your door because i didn't know simon cowden i i, I that was an, an intimidating room at first to be like i literally Autumn and I, the, our first day, 
they put us in two rooms and like, okay, you're going to get girls in groups. You're going to get overs and boys. And then they're like, and mic us up in five minutes. You're going to warm these kids, 80 uh, to hundred kids up in for the next two hours. And you're like, Oh my God, this is where all the choir came back into our heads. And after that, we were like, we looked at each other. We were like, what, what's some of the warmups you did? These are some of the warmups I did. When we go back in the rooms, we could switch up, switch them up. It was intense. It was intense. Well, and that's one of those things where it's like, it's like, of course, the most random thing in your life being in the choir, it comes, it really, it's that like, you know, people like geometry, you know, you're going to use it as an adult. It's like, well, am I? But then all of a sudden choir, it's like, no, I was able to use this, utilize, because the thing is, and, and Autumn talked about this when I talked to her before, that even though it's, you know, it's months and months ahead of time before it comes out, she's like, every day it was like, boom, next, boom, next, like onto the next thing that there was so much happening behind the scenes that only like the tip of the iceberg is shown, not everything behind the scenes. So let me ask you this to go back to the the fifth harmony thing, because I think that I don't want the listeners to lose. This is you kind of made it a conscious effort to kind of, you know, I, there was Menudo then, you know, nineties, it was like Selena and, you know, Shakira, like back in the, when she did like MTV unplugged and there wasn't many global opportunities because you didn't have featuring this rapper this reggaeton person you didn't have any of that I remember a lot of people like oh it was 2000 with JLo and everything that really helped I was like but yes it pushed it this way but that's not the Latin music that I was that I was thinking and no no shade to her but all of a sudden you are bringing this these different aspects because it's not just dance Spanish Latin infused music it's not it's there's more to it there's more rock styles to it. You know what I mean? There's a lot involved absolutely. in that. I, I absolutely agree. And that is like, fast forward a little bit. That's my agenda today because it's so important to, it's so important to showcase the evolution of Latinos and Latin, being Latin and being, you know, of Latin descent. And I think for many years, even back to the nineties, there was this, there was this, big deep separation like if you're latin you have to sing in spanish and there was exceptions like j-lo shakira and enrique the, the way they did it it was they did it but it was so there was such a disconnection because those they would drop them simultaneously the english and the spanish versions but because the markets were so far apart it was like if you're a latino or you live in that latin american country or or or, or spanish-speaking country you had no idea there was english versions and the, the people that knew them in the English market would only know that they sang in Spanish because they had an accent, like Enrique Iglesias or Ricky Martin, because it was so like, um, it was almost a novelty that they played the Latin thing up to the point where it was like this sexy Latin or this, it was always that. And even the sounds, the music always had to have a little bit of a, you know, it was gimmicky. Yeah, it was, it, it got to the point of being yeah. very gimmicky and and for not, for me right now, being Latino um, and be, being starting as an artist signed to Diddy, um, you know, for me, it was there was always this discussion in the marketing meetings with people that was like, well, how do we market Little Eddie? And I'm like, if you come to Spanish Harlem, if you come in New York, if you come to Cali, Latinos, there's Latinos that look like me that don't even speak Spanish. They are so, they contribute to hip hop, R&B and pop, dancing to NSYNC and, and Britney, no Jay-Z and Biggie lyrics. 
and love freaking Genuine and Usher and Aaliyah and everything else. So it's like, why, why does it, why does, and someone told me, you know, music is, back in the day, someone told me in a, in a room, music is black and white. And when you're Latin, you have to sing in Spanish. And, um, and God rest his soul, that was Jerry Blair who told me that, you know, he, and he, I mean, I don't know if a lot of people know him, but he's a Probably not. Yeah, but probably radio, the, a lot of the consumers here, listeners, probably don't. He was a legend. He's a radio guy. He helped break a lot of Mariah Carey records. He worked with Tommy Mottola back in the day. And then he created a group called, a uh, management company called Forte with Rich Isaacson. And they kind of helped on my career from, the, from that part. They were managing me in the beginning of my artist career. And there was always this discussion. It was like, so make him more Latin. He, he can't do, he, he should, he's great in R&B, but then we shouldn't do this. We should, it was always this tug of war. And, and right now, look at where we're at in music. It's like, yeah, there's a reggaeton, there's all this music that's very popular. There's kids from the, from the island. There's exceptions like Daddy Yankee, who are legends, who are always going to be at the top. <clears throat> and, you know, him and Luis Fonsi did Despacito, but... People can look at that because it's only Spanish speaking and because it's, you know, Latin sounding and still hold it as a novelty. And it's like, for me, it's like, no, Luis Fonsi has one of the greatest, most beautiful voices, skillful. He's just, these are real musicians. Daddy Yankee is untouchable. But then there, then you look at the things that are, are charting on the hot 100 that are Latin. Cardi B, 6ix9ine, CJ, Little Pump. These are Spanglish kids. These, and, and, and majority of them are from New York. So, you know, my vision moving forward now has been building a production company called Broken Arts Club, where the artists are Spanglish and either from New York or West Coast. And, you know, I, and it, for me, it's like growing up looking at what Diddy did with hip hop music, with Bad Boy and making mm-hmm. it international. You know, what was happening in the, in the in the in New York and R and B and all the, all these places and he he took it and made it international. Now it's now we're at a place where it's like Latins are somewhere we 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 never been before. But in order to bridge that gap, we really have to we have to start allowing more of a more of the Spanglish movement in and not separating it. And I think this goes to the this is more for the you know the major labels who are signing artists and and trying to figure out how to market it. We're just in a different era, a different time where 40,000 songs are releasing weekly and we can't convince or manipulate the people on what to like, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, that was a little bit of a rant and then. No, 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 it's, yeah. Cause the thing is, it's it's important. And, and what I've, what I thought was interesting is, you know, I do this, the, the podcast, it's like independent. It's me recording, ad, I mean, that you and I are messaging each other. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I was like, this is what it is. And I've had different people where I've reached out to people and and a lot of them like the connection somehow with Britney or with this pop or creating, you know, iconic moments and things. And I've had, and I'm trying to remember who the songwriter was and I'm, I'm not going to, I'll maybe if I remember, I'll tell you after this, but they were just like, uh, they said, oh, your last name is Rodriguez. I said, yeah. And they're like, well, you're not the, the the demographic that we want to speak to and i was like wait that that one of the largest minorities in like what my, mother, like, my mother's maiden name is rodriguez 
There you go. We're probably related, to be honest. <laughs> There's so many Rodriguez. We are. There's so many Rodriguez in my family. Like it's that's crazy to say, but this is this is what I'm always trying to fight for. Is like how many Latinos that are in those little Latin countries know that people like me been in the rooms, in those rooms responsible for the pop, the R&B, the jazz, even Layla Hathaway, Charlie Wilson. Charlie all, Wilson. Like all the, you know, working with Keith Richards from the Rolling Stones, Pink, Nelly Furtado, all these people. And then the ushers and the, you know, Omarions and all these other people. Like how many of us, our people know that we are in those rooms and it's so important for them to know because this is, they, people, as cliche as it may sound, people need to understand that you can't give up on your dreams. You have to keep fighting for them. And, you know, even if it means you have to get a job to support your dream, like, but you're never going to know if you can make it there if you don't see people like you saying, I understand I've been there. I come from poverty and adversity and I've overcome these things and you can do it too, you know? Um, and that has been really like a life um, goal and journey and purpose for me, like now more than ever, you know? How do you handle those moments? Because you've worked, and we're going to go into, like I said, you have a ton of fans asking about a billion different songs. I was like, I was like, oh, I'll get this many questions. And I'm like, more people, like somebody just messaged me right now. They're like, oh, you need to talk about Maya Kiss. And I'm like, people. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> but so how do you, how do you handle then when you're in the room and there is that, because when I've talked to different producer songwriters, whether it's women or people of color or anything, where you know that somebody in that room does not want you in there because just for the fact of who you are or what you represent, how do you handle, I mean, cause it had to have happened at some point considering you have like a billion <laughs> songs, do you know what I mean? Oh, it has, as I don't think I, I don't throw anybody's names up, but it, it has. You know, mm -hmm. I would just say this. That's why Beyonce is Beyonce. And I love Kelly Rowland and Michelle. Amazing. But that but that's why Beyonce is Beyonce and Kelly's Kelly and Michelle's Michelle, because, you know, the, the, the greats, they. They understand that they are great. They don't need to prove themselves to anyone. And they are they they see a collaboration as you know what let's see what you have to offer me because when i'm on, when i'm by myself i can record all i want and write all i want and i tell artists this all the time i'm like listen know it or, or or don't know it when i'm in this room i'm looking to find your superpower and i'm going to take your superpower and i'm going to keep it with me and keep it and move forward like i'm going to learn from you but while i'm in this room today if you only have me for one day two days three days or a week like you might as well take whatever I have to offer. If you don't like it, you don't mm -hmm. have to use it. But that's the purpose of the collaboration because I'm your Uber driver. I'm just trying to get you where you want to go. Like I'm not, I don't have to sing this oh, album. I like that. This is your album. I want to take you wherever you want to go. But as well, you got to understand that I've did my research. I'm a fan. I'm also an artist, producer, executive. So I put all these things into perspective and I look at what, could be missing what I can, you know, in inject in you as far as, you know what, maybe it's be a little bit more vulnerable. Or maybe it's like, you know what, sometimes you just got to say what you say unapologetically, the, the, what, whatever the temperature is. But 
I there's some the greats are the greats because they really I've been in rooms where they're like, listen, Pink was like, you tell me what to do, I'm gonna do it. You know, like vocal producing, and I'm like, this is why you're pink, you know, like, and then I've been in rooms with new artists where I'm like, and then I've been in rooms with artists that had that could have been a part of that, those legacies, but you realize why they're not, because they look at me and they underestimate like what I can do because they didn't do their research. A, they never heard me sing. They don't know how much I know. And they think that I, I remember like, I love Usher, but when I first worked with Usher on that Confessions era, he thought I was the intern. But then by the time I was like, bro, I'm here to write with you. When he, when he started to work with me, he's like, bro, you're amazing. Like we just became so close, you know? And he, he gave me so many words of wisdom and knowledge. And I'm like, this is why you're freaking usher. But I get it. Like sometimes I walk in a room and people are like, um, is this a delivery? Like what? Young ones are great. Like I walked in, I worked with Coyle Ray recently and she was like, man, like, it's an honor to work with you. I've heard so much about you. I was so impressed by this girl because I'm like, you know what? You're going to make it very far. And this is what it takes. You should be, you should, you shouldn't take it for granted. And she didn't, you know, and she really wanted to see what I could bring to the table. And she acknowledged me, knew who I was. And those things go such a long way. It's not about my ego, but it's for her own longevity in the industry. Well, and that that was something where uh, Casey Livingston she takes everything in. She's gonna sit there, take everything in, and then write you, you know, a bonus track. And her voice is amazing. Um, so what I want to do now? You, when I worked with Casey. She, I love this girl from the beginning. Like we did Rainbow together with um, Jesse J. Jesse J. She's so soft-spoken and so sweet. And I was just like, I love this girl, you know? But then she just goes, she gets up and she's like, what about this progression? And she plays the whole bridge progression, like out of nowhere. I'm like, sit the hell down. <laughs> sit down, because she just had the chords in her head and, you know, and her voice is so beautiful. She's so impressive. Like, and ever since that day, I was like, I love you. Like, I'm, I haven't spoke to her in a long time, but she is truly a genius and, I mean, such a graceful woman. Like, I, I, she's just, she's an amazing person. Like, Casey, like, and this is no cab. This is, like, the truth. Like, Casey Livingston is one of the most impressive people musically that you'll meet. Because you, you can't underestimate that girl. She knows what she's doing. She knows what she's doing. <laughs> he, is like a, he is a sneaky one. This one, she would blow your mind. She will blow your mind because she just she sits there and she analyzes and then she just she doesn't she's not like word vomit. You know, she says things that are just so her her bullseye ratio is like off the meter. She well, and that was something where I talked to her because uh she was like she many of the songwriters and producers have been like, clearly you support and buy physical and you support songwriters. I'm like, yes, this is just one artist. It's not even, you know, Janet's over here, Madonna's over here, Taylor's over here, Pink, 
all these people are over on this side of the wall. But she she would play some of the the demos for me. She's like, oh, you know, this was, you know, a, a Britney demo or this was something else. And and the whole time I'm like, for me as the listener, as the consumer, I'm like, why aren't these out? You know, and then it's talking to more and more people. There's a lot of politics and just in general and stuff like that. But what I love is when I can tell almost every single songwriter and producer I've talked to still loves making music and making art that, you know, it doesn't turn off at nine to five, you know, this keeps, this keeps going. So what I want to do is um, I want to go through just a bunch of these questions with songs because these people, they're just like legit. And I'm get hold on. And somebody else just said, can you please, what is this? Okay, perfect. It's it's about all I see. I'm looking at this email. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to throw out the, the name of a song. And some of these are demos. Some of these are songs that have been cut. Others are songs that somebody might have mentioned before that people are like, give me a little bit more information. Okay, now somebody asked me to ask you about, hey, can you ask the masterful Lil Eddie, can you talk about All Night Long? With Jay Bernie, did I say that right? Jay Bernie. Oh, all night. Oh, wow. My that's my best friend, Jimmy Bernie. Of course, I could. You want to talk about it now? Yep, yep, yep. Okay, so Jimmy <laughs> Bernie. Like, I met Jimmy Bernie in in passing. Like, I was at that time. I was I was very instrumental in the discovery of Cody Simpson, from YouTube to making all the songs that were demos to sign, getting it like the signing process to releasing all day and all those songs. So I was working with Cody at the time. And then Jimmy had a session with Cody lined up and uh, I pa- I was leaving one and Jimmy was coming in. And then Jimmy, you know, he's just, Jimmy is the nicest guy in the world. He is so sweet. He's such a nice guy. Like, I just was like, you are such a nice guy, you know, like, and, um, and then he was like, I, we exchanged numbers. And then in the session, he was like, Cody just, all he's saying is, Eddie wouldn't do it this way. He wouldn't do it like this. He wouldn't do it. So we just started laughing and talking about it. And then I would just be like, let's hang out, man. Let's just chill. We we just hung out. And, you know, I was still fairly new to L.A. So, you know, coming from New York. And we just became the best, close best friends. And he, he was like, listen, I'm going to ask you something. I don't know if you're going to say yes to me. He said, because I know you're pretty huge in Japan. But I, I just got a deal in Japan. and um, could you do a song with me? And I was like, bro, whatever you want. Like, and I did the song and we shot the video and it was pretty, yeah, it was, it happened like that just organically. You know what I mean? I, see, and that's, that's the part that I love where it's like, <clears throat> I, I learned from somebody like the muse, they talk about the muse. It's like, you can't force the muse. Sometimes the muse shows up and she's there to help you, you know, and some songs can happen like that. Others, there have been a f- couple songwriters that are like, that song started as a song for X, Y, and Z. And then it went to, you know, this group and that group. And then we just went all the way back to the beginning. And it's fun to hear these stories because I think it, a lot of the, the listeners and the consumers get to re-fall in love with these songs. Hopping out for a quick second to remind you to follow me on Instagram, the.original.doll. And if you want to help support this podcast and keep it free for all, go ahead and visit www.theoriginaldoll.com. On there, there is a link to help support us. Donations are greatly appreciated. Big shout out to all my Patreon patrons. Um, and I asked the song that many people have actually asked you about for me to ask with Little Eddie was a Kylie Minogue song. As many of you know who have listened to previous episodes, I've interviewed many songwriters and producers who worked with Kylie Minogue. 
And one of the most interesting things is this song specifically, All I See, is something that many of her fans were asking how it came to be because it was so different for Kylie at the time. We look back and go, this makes sense. This is a natural progression. But we talk about that, and here's what Lil Eddie had to say. my song that all, that all i see song so i it was my first trip because i i was working with social shock and carlin on jojo stuff I, I just i became their number one writer and they took me to london i was doing all this stuff writing for everybody and then they would go back and talk to everyone in um denmark about me and um they spoke to Cutfather about me and um they invited me to go to denmark and um i got to denmark and i had six days uh in Denmark, but I was so sick the first day. I got so sick. So I I was, well, the second day. So the first day I went to the studio and then, mind you, these people wake up early to go to the studio, like 9 a.m. He was knocking on my door. <laughs> like, I'm jet lagged and I'm tired and hungry and it's too damn early. But I woke up and I went to the studio and then he played me some stuff and I was laying like, I just laid a bunch of ideas. So I laid six ideas. And the second day I was so sick and I was like, bro, just send me the, um, send me what I, send me the tracks and I'm gonna write them in my room. And I wrote all I see in my room. And I begged Cutfather to send it to Kylie Minogue cause he was like, Kylie wouldn't do this, it's too R&B. But he sent it to Janet Jackson. She cut a version of it. Um, Cassie cut a version of it. This girl named Gia cut a version of it. And I think um, J-Lo was about to cut a version of it. But at that time, I already worked with Cassie. I worked with Janet. I worked with um, J-Lo with, through Mario and, and Diddy. And the girl the girl Gia, I loved her, but I was just like, Kylie's an icon. Like, I, I was like, bro, please, like, let's give this to Kylie. So I've, uh, they sent it in and, and then they called me I was somewhere else and they were like I'm flying you to London you're gonna cut Kylie Minogue vocals on this song and I was like I told you she'll do it you know I what I got there she walks in the room and she starts singing the song like she knew every lyric and she knew she knew every lyric she was so sweet just like a real pro you know and um like it was it, it just was one of those dream come true moments for me because it, it doesn't really matter like where music goes right now. People like Kylie Minogue paved the way, you know, like she, she's an icon. What she is for, you know, pop music, um, what she is for, you know, a lot of um, just all the young pop stars, 
what she is in the gay community. Like she's an icon, she's a queen, you know, and people have to respect that. She put in a lot of work. And um, and I just was like, I was honored that she would love the song that much. And she said, this is something very different. Like, I don't, I don't sing like, you know, R&B melodies like this, but I was like, I just, I, I just felt it. Like, I, I don't know, it was one of those magical things that happened because I only had six days, but that same trip, I wrote All I See, I wrote Nightlife, which became like a big hit for me in Germany. And my demo leaked and then I was, came yeah, a hit. Was, was Nightlife br- a Britney possible track? I did it for Britney initially, yeah. Like initially I wrote that song for Britney Spears, Nightlife. And, um, but it leaked online and became this big, massive like hit. And I had to go tour and I was like, whoa, like this is crazy. Like, so it's a hit in Germany. And it's like one of the biggest, they play it still now, and I, I I still get called to do shows there, but I I just haven't been doing that yet because um I'll tell you about that more. But um I did nightlife. I did a song called Backtrack, which I placed on a big Japanese group. They did a version of it. I did well. Basically, every song I wrote there got placed. God, that's amazing. All six songs, yeah. And it was it was really a magical trip, and I was so sick, and I felt like man, I hope I don't let these people down. But because, because um, as well, I'm a type one diabetic. So I was like really mm. feeling horrible, but I had to just like push through it. And that, that also is, you know, encouragement for any, anyone that's young that, that, you know, man, sometimes we have to find our own strength and we have to push through and we just gotta, when that opportunity comes, it may never come again. You know, so we have to make it work. We have to do our best to not, let opportunities take opportunities for granted, you know, because they turn into this. Yeah. Yeah. See, this is, this is the part that's amazing. Cause it's like, and you know what's not even ev- crazier? when I remember it started to cut you off when that Kylie song came out, I also had. Mm, hopping out quickly. Don't worry. We have another episode with Lil Eddie coming up very soon. Uh, but I want to thank you all for listening. Don't forget, follow me on Instagram, instagram.com slash the dot original dot doll. Go old school with the website, www.theoriginaldoll.com. And for any questions or anything, or if you want any songwriters or producers on the show, go ahead and message me. Let me know what you think. Uh, but we have more with little Eddie, and we're going to be talking about a lot more of his work with many huge pop stars. And we're not just talking about within the States. More universal superstars coming soon. See you on the flip side. <laughs> you